Welcome to another episode of This Is My Generation, a podcast full of information for parents in the early years of homeschooling who are seeking clarity and encouragement to get through the uncertainty of homeschooling and build a thriving education for their family. I'm Dr. Melanie Bisson, the founder and owner of Generation, a company transforming education for the six plus million parents now paving their own educational path for their kids, the next generation. We do this through our group coaching program, Harvest, where parents sow seeds of clarity in their vision and goals, reap the fruits that come from being aligned in your approach and programs, stay rooted in empowerment and thrive together in community. You can follow us on Instagram at underscore This Is My Generation. friends. Look at me, second time this week dropping an episode. I'm excited about that. I definitely hope to move to twice weekly here in the future. I've got a few things in the works for some guest speakers and being able to start diving into more of that mix and balance between the practical things when we're in the midst of homeschooling, but also more about what's happening in the homeschooling world and in the uh, education industry, I guess, in general that relates to homeschooling and some experts in that regard. So, so much more to come. Very excited still about the progress. Um, So today is our Q&A. And yes, it is October, posted in October. (laughs) Congrats to me. Um, So I've got four questions. They are highlighted in the show notes in case you want to skip over one of them. But I hope you'll stick around because I think they've all got little nuggets of information that are helpful regardless of where you are on the journey. But for the sake of time, let's get into it. So the first one is, in a previous episode, you discussed decision-making frameworks for homeschooling. I've used some of those strategies, but I'm still having trouble choosing the right curriculum. So that decision-making framework is what I referenced, um, I believe he or she is referring to uh, my dissertation work and uh, the framework around um, discovering your educational philosophy, working through you know, what you envision, setting goals, all those types of aspects. Um, but so to answer this question, I'm just going to give you some insight into the criteria that I use with my curriculum matching program. Um, so this is kind of a big, like cards on the table kind of moment, but you know, if you want to take advantage of this, like with me and not do it on your own, um, and sort of my list and my database, like you'll be able to purchase it separately on the website soon. Cause right now it's, a, it's included with the harvest coaching program, but Basically, here's the rundown of questions that I ask to narrow selections down. And then I use my database to compare and contrast. And, you know, we use these dozens or so interrelated factors to to give you your top two or three choices. Um, but they're things that you can start thinking about and through on your own. So let me just run through them all. Um, are you seeking a comprehensive program or a supplement to work alongside what you're already doing? Do you have a preferred format, you know, book-based, hybrid online, async online, live online? <laughs> There's a lot of online now and a lot of different nuances within those. Um, and we got to think about all of these aspects. What age or grade is the focus? Obviously, because not everything is labeled by grade. It's by age um, more often than not in the homeschooling world. What pace? Do you want the curriculum to be self-paced that you do on your own? A step up, which would be guided, uh, you know, guidelines on how often the lessons should take and when you should complete things by, 
Or do you want it instructor-led? Or maybe some combination based on subject matter. Uh, what worldview do you come from? And how much does that matter? You know, secular versus Christian. What is your educational philosophy? And if you had to narrow it down to just one or two, you know, creationism, existentialism, perennialism, you like, those are the names, the academic names that I have in my database, but you can identify your own, um, you know, using obviously some of our early episodes, we've got the free Pathfinder guide on our website. Um, and then obviously don't forget, we do like the deep dive work, the long-term work on this in our harvest program, but you know, then you just compare it to the language that's used like on the about us pages of the curriculum providers just to see where that alignment might happen. Um, and this is what I have recorded and done already in my database, but you can still dive in and do that work, especially if you already have a few in mind um, that you just need help narrowing down. And then you do the same thing with your homeschooling approach, because while the approach is closely aligned with the educational philosophy, more often you will see like the approach type language that's used by the curriculum providers and developers, like how they talk about it on their website or in advertisements and stuff. So, you know, eclectic, classical, unit study. Um, you might even see specifics like Charlotte Mason or Waldorf. Um, so consider those. And then what about preparation and parental involvement? Do you want no prep, open and go? Do you want low prep? Or, you know, do you not mind setting up a lot of things and getting hands on yourself? Same thing with the level of how often you are involved and, you know, painstakingly working through each lesson, uh, being that full-on teacher, or do you have, you know, some guidance and hybrid? Uh, does accreditation matter to you? What about state standards? Um, you know, the possibility of needing to matriculate back into a traditional school. Um, do you want support from providers? Is that important to you? You know, a uh, customer service aspect. What about their experience? Um, you know, I sort of label them by growth, which would be a newer curriculum provider or, or developer, really. You know, has it been developed and created in the last five years? You know, something like Time for Learning, which has come on the scene, you know, recently. Or are you talking, you know, mature, uh, you know, Saxon Math, Abeka, you know, tried and true via decades of, of testimonials. So those are just, I, I have a few more, but they get even more nuanced. Uh, but those are just a sampling of all of the different questions to ask yourself, to make notes on, to prioritize, you know, what's what factors are most important for you? What's a must-have? What's a non-negotiable? And then which ones can you see yourself flexing in and out of depending on if your must-haves are met, right? Like all those types of things are questions to help you narrow down after you've done, you know, that larger framework work. Okay. Um, next question. In your last episode, you talked about recognizing and addressing different learning preferences in homeschooling. I've observed my child's preferences, but I'm not sure how to adapt our lessons effectively. Can you share some practical strategies for tailoring teaching methods to individual learning preferences? Awesome. So like, I'm already just so glad that this person was already observing their child's learning preferences and having an understanding of their needs with certain subjects or material. Like, I truly think that figuring it out, you know, quote unquote part and that early observation can be some of the hardest. So like, kudos there, because it's just awesome. So now adapting your teaching methods to match your child's learning preferences is the practical part, right? So I think first and foremost, flexibility is key. 
Um, you know, remember that your child's learning preferences might change over time. Uh, they might vary between subjects. So just be open to adjusting your approach to accommodate these shifts. You know, one teaching method might not fit all, and that's perfectly fine. Your method is going to need to adapt as often as their learning preferences do. But obviously don't overcomplicate that in your mind just yet. Um, you know, so like, for example, if we're doing the, the practical side of this to give you some thoughts, like if you observed your child is a visual learner when it comes to math concepts, then you want to consider using visual aids like diagrams or charts or flashcards to help convey the information. Um, you can incorporate more colorful, hands-on materials in your lessons. It's like that reading example I gave, I think last episode, um, with my son Josiah and switching to cutting up the words in our fluency exercise to like feed this colorful monster rather than just reading them from the page. Um, you can also encourage them to take notes, create, you know, like little mind maps or draw illustrations to help them understand and retain the information. And that's, you know, dependent on their age a little bit, but like videos, documentaries that align with their interests and the subject matter, like those are all super helpful here too. And then maybe for auditory learners, it's a focus on just spoken explanations, you know, allowing yourself more time to engage in discussions or explain concepts verbally and then encourage your child to ask questions and discuss topics with you. Like that's, that's helpful. That practically comes down to, you know, maybe planning more time in your week so that you have time in that subject and teaching method where you're not worrying about what's coming next. And if this is going to overlap in something else you have planned, you know, you can also use audiobooks or podcasts and music to reinforce learning and those less formal moments in the home. Like we do a lot of playlists in the car where it doesn't feel like school time, but what we are listening to is actually pointing back to something from earlier in the week. And it's always a fun moment when Josiah is like, oh yeah, like that's what we talked about or that's what we did. And and I'm just like, yeah, like how cool is that? You know, like connection, like mom totally did not plan that. <laughs> you know, he's only five. I don't know how long it takes for him to recognize like I see what you're doing there, mom, and I don't want to listen anymore. <laughs> but, you know, the goal is obviously that I'm cultivating a love for learning. So we'll see. Um, but, you know, like you can also just have them summarize what they've learned in their own words or, you know, have a little storytelling exercise as a way to internalize that knowledge. Um, you know, I could do this for like each learning preference, but hopefully you see the pattern. Like this is a big part of what we do in our in our harvest and the coaching program. Um, like we're not creating lesson plans for you, right? But we're always helping point you back to the next best thing in your journey to focus tweaking on rather than getting wrapped up in like all of the things, right? So remember that a combination of these strategies can obviously bene be beneficial, uh, even if your child leaned towards one particular learning preference. Um, so it's just about being patient, flexible in your approach, you know, easier said than done, of course. Those like myself who... Oh, just like that plug and play direction, you know, adapting our teaching methods to our children's needs can be one of the more challenging, like trial and error aspects. Um, but it gets easier with practice, become second nature. You know, don't doubt yourself and your ideas. I, I think it can be simple as like starting your day with the hardest, hardest stuff first, you know, and these little shifts can make a huge difference in their cooperation too. Um, and then I always say, like, don't forget to involve your child in the process, like asking them for their input on what methods work best for them 
Like you'd be surprised. They probably have ideas and giving them some autonomy in shaping their learning experience is empowering for both of you. Um, and obviously when they active, actively participate in the decision-making, like they're going to feel more invested in their education overall. Right. So, okay, cool. Um, moving right along. Number three for the Q and a was you've previously discussed the importance of creating a supportive learning environment at home. So I've set up a dedicated space, but my child often seems distracted. What can I do to make this space more conducive to learning? <laughs> Phew. So yeah, this can go in a lot of different directions, right? But I'll try and answer with some broad enough, um, yet still practical ideas. Like, first of all, it's great that you've already set up a dedicated space. Uh, but if your child is feeling distracted, it's obviously a great first place to start because, you know, as we walked through, even in the stress relief roadmap, like you want to isolate one part at a time first, right? So before rushing to, you know, curriculum or schedule changes, like let's just consider some changes in the space first, like fantastic approach. Um, so first thing I would do is identify and eliminate those potential distractions in the learning space because they, they may not be as, as obvious. Um, you know, anything like toys, electronic devices, kind of almost anything unrelated to the lesson, you know, just ensuring that the area is clutter-free and focused solely on learning materials to the best of your ability. You know, I know this can seem impossible in many homes and certainly not everyone has those Pinterest-like homeschool rooms, right? Like <laughs> I've talked about that and my love-hate relationship with, with that, but, you know, we can make efforts to hide and secure toys and other distractions, you know, do a quick sweep the night before when you're setting up a routine. Um, you know, you can even set up like a routine welcome activity that can help get them centered in the beginning, in the beginning of their day or their lesson or whenever you're, you're doing your homeschool work. Like after I get Levi down for a nap, like I walk the dog and I gather my stuff. And that's when Josiah knows that it's his time to, we start with math because it's his favorite and he likes to get that done first and tackle the hard stuff later. So yes, that's opposite of what I just mentioned, but that's because I've been in communication with him and I've been observing him. And when I gave him that ownership, it actually, it worked. Um, but so that's his time to do his little like prep stuff. He's got this coin cup that he's got to count, you know, dimes and pennies and stuff right now. His quick little number pattern, you know, 17, 19, 21, you know, fill in the next three. And then he writes the date on the whiteboard. And it's like empowering for him to do that alone. And it takes me, you know, less than a minute to prep. Um, so little things like that. But I would also pay attention to the lighting in the room. You know, natural light is ideal. But if that's not possible, you want to use bright, cool, white LED lights. <laughs> that's a mouthful. But uh, just cool white lights to create that well-lit space. Um, you know, good lighting is really going to help your child stay alert, stay focused. Um, obviously, investing in comfortable and ergonomic furniture, if possible. You know, the best way is to make sure that your child's chair and desk are appropriately sized. Um, experts say that they should be able to sit comfortably with their feet flat on the ground and arms at a 90-degree angle when they're writing or typing. Um, Obviously, I mean, we even know from our own, just like we can attest that sometimes it's easy to overlook this, but we know how ergonomics can reduce like physical discomfort. Um, I mean, gosh, like I remember my old employer, 
when we started working remotely for outside sales, like we, we did a whole big just training on this and the importance of it for focus and minimizing distractions. Um, but you know, like Josiah actually has a little swivel chair that he likes, but when it comes to like a more serious task, he goes and grabs the stationary kitchen chair and it. I spent so much time with that damn chair, um, like finding the right swivel one and the height and all this stuff. But honestly, like it's just working for us right now. And it's, it's no fuss. It's, it's not causing him to be distracted when he goes and grabs the, the bigger kitchen one. Like he just sort of knows that it's time for him to use that. And so I'm just, you know, obviously picking my battles with that right now. Uh, but organization, right? Like teach your child the importance of staying organized and having that designated space for the different subjects and materials and notebooks and textbooks and supplies. Like just create a little system for them to keep track of assignments and schedules and stuff. And obviously when it's, when it's a little bit more neat, it's less likely to cause distraction. Um, you can involve them in personalizing their learning space, right? Like you might notice that empowerment theme, <laughs> but when children have a say in how the area looks like they often feel more connected to it. So letting them choose the decorations or the posters or the, the colors that inspire and motivate them. It's not about us. Like I have to tell myself that all the time, like, and it's hard because like his desk and his space is directly across from my working space. And so like every time I'm on a zoom call, like I see the map behind it and like all the little things that have started to fill up along the outside of it that are like, you know, sort of the little tchotchke, like craft things or whatever. But like, it's not about me. It's not about me creating this monolithic space that I like to look at. It's about him as the learner. And that sense of ownership can just enhance their focus and engagement. Um, Routine and schedule. So for distractions, um, you know, establishing that consistent daily routine and having that predictable schedule can really help them understand when it's time to focus on schoolwork and then when they get to have breaks. Um, You know, include short, frequent breaks to just help release some of that pent-up energy and refresh their concentration. You know, maybe just looking around the house and agreeing on something like for us it's do you need to go run around the couch and he'll say yes and he knows that he gets like three or four times around and he comes right back um limit screen time if possible you know minimizing the presence of screens in the learning space reducing the screen time before you do your learning can help you know just just like us and you know we read about the impacts of the blue light on our eyes Express- excessive screen time can be distracting Um, you know, so try to use it only for educational purposes when needed, um, you know, before and and during the lesson. See, and this is y'all, this is why I come to do my, I say see, and like, you can't see, uh, this is not a YouTube live. Um, but I got a bunch of dolphins in front of me. I think I probably say this every episode now, but it never gets old. Um, (laughs) I love recording the episodes. From my car just looking out over the river um it brings me quiet and calm which leads to the last one <laughs> um ensuring that the learning space is quiet and calm right so if you've got multiple children doing your best to set up separate areas for each child to minimize disruptions you know you can consider using um noise canceling headphones uh if external noises are a concern i know i might be going that route just to try something uh, on Thursdays because I want to be doing something with his younger brother 
in the morning so that we can do the park day at like 11 o'clock. Like just the timing is difficult on Thursdays. Um, and it's been really hard, like having Levi in a rice bin and in a sensory bin and having Josiah focus because he wants to keep turning around and seeing what he's doing and he's jealous of that time and blah, blah, blah. Um, so, you know, the key is just to create a space that promotes concentration, engagement, and just a positive attitude toward learning, right? So hopefully that helps. Just some tips and tricks. And the last one uh, is, is there a common approach to assessment and evaluations for homeschooling parents? And I loved this one because we haven't touched on this at all. Um, you know, obviously assessments and evaluations in homeschooling can take various forms. Uh, there's not like a one-size-fits-all approach because Homeschooling laws and requirements just vary from place to place, you know, state to state. But, you know, I can still provide some insights into common approaches and just tools that we can find valuable when assessing our kids' progress. Um, I know a lot of homeschooling parents use self-assessment as an ongoing method. Um, and that's really just observing and evaluating your child's progress through their just daily interactions, discussions, just reviewing their completed assignments. Um, you know, you're the one that's in a unique position to gauge your child's understanding of the material, right? And make time, like real time adjustments to their curriculum as needed. Um, and this is just a helpful thing to do, in my opinion, even if your state requires something more formal, because it just helps us in adjusting our teaching methods um, with planning and scheduling, right? So just, I, I think that a self assessment is helpful anyways, but, you know, portfolios are one. Some states require um, or recommend keeping a portfolio of your child's work. Um, that can include just samples of their assignments and projects and creative work. It's just a way to showcase your child's learning journey and, and provide just that tangible evidence of their progress. And as we talk about in the next episode, actually, it's a fun way to look back and celebrate the wins and the progress that you and your child have made together. Um, but standardized tests, you know, depending on your, your location and the regulations that apply to homeschooling there, um, they might be required at a certain grade level. And, you know, there's obviously lots of different feelings and opinions, but, you know, standardized tests can still help you assess your child's knowledge compared to other students in a, you know, standardized, more formal manner. Um, and if you remove, you know, the angst and anxiety that is sometimes created in a traditional school setting around how we talk about these type of tests, you'd be surprised at how much more simple and effective they can be in homeschooling. Um, and obviously, just by comparing your child's work to these guidelines, like you can evaluate their performance at a benchmark level. Um, but then there's curriculum-based assessments. So if you're using a curriculum, they often have built-in assessments. And those can just be quizzes or tests or assignments that are designed to evaluate your child's understanding of the material in that curriculum. Um, so use these to, to track your child's academic progress. I mean, I love how Saxon Math does this because it's out of sight, out of mind for me. And I keep a running tally of his work. Like they're not stressful for the kids, I feel like, for the most part, because it looks like the rest of the daily activity. So again, like we're not talking about and prepping them like okay kids on monday we're gonna have a test Ooh, what's a test and like no it's just hey you know here's another sheet to do this time you know i can't help you along the way i'm just gonna read the question to you once and you answer it it's just a way for for mom to see you know how you're doing you leave it at that um and then just 
discussion and conversation in general can be a way of assessment. You know, you're the one that can talk to them and ask open-ended questions and encourage them to explain what they've learned and identify areas where they might need more support. Like you can even choose to record these as part of that portfolio, or you can just use it for self-assessment, but just asking those open-ended questions um, is really just a, a good oral way of assessing. Um, there's also online platforms and resources that are designed for homeschooling parents, you know, and some of them offer tools and progress tracking and record keeping. Um, a lot of the online ones are actually, I have a long list now that I think about it in, on the, the homepage of the website, there's a free AI guide. It's actually like a 30 page book. Um, I don't think I've mentioned it yet, but it's pretty helpful. Um, but in the back in the appendix, there's like half a dozen pages that have like 10 to 15 resources for each topic. And one of them is on assessments and evaluations and online tools and resources. So if that's something you're interested in, just go download that. Uh, but I think, you know, the, the biggest one is professionals, like consulting a professional, because in a lot of states and in a lot of cases, like parents want that experienced assessment or evaluation just for that peace of mind that you're not overlooking something. And it's obviously especially valuable if you're navigating like more specific learning challenges with your child. Um, and a lot of those can easily be found in some of the Facebook support groups for your county. Like I feel like I'm always seeing evaluators um, posting a quick like image with their information. Um, you'll see it more commonly around time of year where it's like required for certain states. So maybe even like Christmas break time, just, you know, to gauge that season or chunk of time. And then certainly um, at the end of the, the spring, um, early summer. But really, I mean, it's just essential to research and understand the legal requirements for assessments in your state. You know, they're going to vary significantly. So just Keep accurate records, stay informed about any assessment deadlines, but also know your rights so that if and when any overreach happens from local authorities, like you can be confident that you already have everything that is required and you can then communicate it effectively back to those authorities because that overreach is sometimes real. And that's where I see a lot of homeschool parents stressing about what needs to be done when really like you've already done everything you needed to. Um, you just need to be able to, to justify that and, and have an organized manner of it ahead of time. So, all right. Um, that wraps up this month's Q and a, I hope these are helpful and enjoyable to listen to. Keep the questions coming. You can email me. It's Melanie at this is my And please let me know what you like and dislike about the podcast so far. You know, ratings are the way that it gets seen and I could definitely benefit from more of those if you have anything to share. All right. So as always, thank you for listening. Till next time. If this is resonating with you and you want to be free of the uncertainty and the overwhelm, then hop on over to thisismygeneration.com and explore the options for the Harvest program and download one of our free eBooks. I'm so excited to help parents get out of their head and get in sync with their homeschool vision and plans. Our four-step process of sowing seeds of clarity, reaping the fruits of alignment, staying rooted in empowerment, and thriving in community include all the concrete ways to overcome the common mindset challenges homeschool parents face and move you into a growth mindset that will trade the uncertainty and overwhelm for calm confidence. And don't forget to subscribe and share this podcast and follow us on Instagram at underscore this is my generation.